What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 165, and we'll be talking about Stargate Atlantis' episode, Poisoning the Well. Poisoning the Well. Still no well. Uh, The well is a proverbial well. It's a proverbial well. We did get to see the Stargate, but only for like one shot. Yeah, and And, did you notice that that shot was also used in the credits? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, but that's also the shot. I think we've seen that shot when the puddle jumper goes through it. You know what I mean? Looks... Oh, we've probably seen that a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <clears throat> anyway, hey, friends. Uh, we're an independent podcast. So uh, what does that mean? It means we do not take any sponsorships. Ha! Sponsors. Sponsors are for wusses or people who <laughs> or people who actually want to make a living doing this thing. Um, uh, what we do have, uh, buy me a uh, buy me a coffee. So that's that thing that we were talking about last week. Uh, it's nothing that you have to really worry about unless you really want to worry about it. The gist is that if you go to our website, uh, you will see a little coffee cup icon in the bottom right. If you want to just chuck some bucks our way because uh, you like what we do, that's an easy way to do it, and we appreciate it very very much. Uh, the, uh, I guess I'm going to kind of move things around here, uh, cause it's further down in the notes. We've you got can the, do whatever you want, Brent. This sure. Is your podcast. <laughs> oh, is it my, yeah, it's just mine now, eh? Uh, <laughs> it's mine too, but you know. <laughs> it's ours. We it, can do what it, we want. It, it's <clears throat> a combined thing. You know, it's a give and take. It's, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Just keep going. Okay, fine. <laughs> Buy me a coffee. Yeah. You go to our website, WTTS.space space. And in the bottom right corner, you'll see a little coffee cup. Now, if you want to support us on a regular basis, you, uh, click through that coffee cup, I think, uh, or maybe you click the icon and I think there might be a thing called memberships. Whatever. You can do both. You can either give us some bucks just because right now, or you can do a monthly thing. They call it memberships. Uh, thank you very much for uh, Jen for supporting the show. Thank you, Jen. And also for Mike for uh, getting us a cup of coffee. Uh, that was really great and appreciate that. So if you want to do that too, you can you can do that away. <clears throat> uh, the, the membership, we're currently calling it the general fund because it's we don't have anything special lined up. It's just like it costs money to do this big shocker and so any any dollars that you're willing to throw our way to help offset that cost that's yeah, pretty great i imagine zach that if we get enough um contributions to offset the cost of running the show then we might then we would be like how about we do something nice you know how about we i figure think out- that sounds like a great idea brent yeah. i support it completely there we go it, it, we, we hit, okay let it be said <laughs> let it be written let it be done. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, so say we all. So say we all. That's a different, uh, that's a different type of podcast. It's uh, it, Yes, it is different, but it's a good one. It um, is. So, yeah. So independent podcast. That's how you can support the show if you wish. If you don't want to, no sweat. Like, we got this. Uh, we're going to keep doing this. Uh, we, we Like we had mentioned, we're, we're paring down some of the extras that we were doing so that we could really focus on the main show because that's the thing that we really want to do, even though life can be a little tumultuous. And friends, if you have other friends that want to hear more stargate stuff and you want to recommend us, you can recommend our show to anyone who wants to listen to a podcast. They can find it on Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts and Google Podcasts, po- iHeartRadio Podcasts, and Amazon Podcasts. As well as, I forgot to mention this last time, as well as our site, you can go to WTTS.space. It's at the bottom. We got a little player embedded there. You don't even have to, don't even have to go anywhere else. You can just go to the site. Listen. There you go. Um, or you could do it right. <clears throat> you can buy a, buy. You can. You can buy them. You can get a podcast aggregator. There's free ones too. And you can search for Walking Through the Stargate. You'll find our show. 
they will find our show. Everyone will find our show and they can sign up and listen and subscribe and doopy doopy do. Uh, Zach. Yeah, Brian. If a person wants to uh, reach out and let us know that uh, they think that buying coffee is uh, fine and all, but uh, it's actually uh, a, 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 uh, a way for the capitalistic society to continue to extract wealth from the from the hardworking laborers uh, by giving them stimulants as opposed to allowing them to have good rest. Uh, how might they? Uh, how might they impart their Marxist-Leninist theory towards me? Well, if uh, you have a beef with the capitalistic government and want to do something <laughs> about it, and coffee isn't your jam, you can use tea and throw it into the harbor. Yeah. <laughs> and after you've done that, you can tell us by emailing us at walkingthroughthestargate@gmail.com, or of course you can create a nice post on Facebook at the yes. Walking Through the Stargate Facebook page and/or group, um, or you can go to wtts.space space. And uh, I, I don't do we we don't really have an interactive way to talk to us there, uh, but on the website you can. Buy a coffee because you want to subscribe to the capitalistic system that we live in, <laughs> or not, your choice. But then also on the website, you can get the link to go to the discords, yes. and there you can continue to talk about how you have thrown tea into the harbor. Yes. 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 There. That works. There. there we go. That's, that's what great. I have to say. That's good. I like it. Um, I guess that's, that's all we have for at this point in time, Brent. Should we dig into this episode? Wow, that was a fast intro. Yeah. No, that's like a five-minute intro. People are going to expect us to do this every week. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor, poor, poor everybody. Oh, boy. <laughs> Some days they're going to get it. I remember every now and again. See, here we go. Where, yep. uh, you know, our intros are like 20 minutes long or something. Not today, but uh, give us a minute. We'll, we'll, find, we'll find an excuse for that. Yep. All right. So, to Poisoning the Well. Yes. Uh, the director for this episode is Brad Turner, and we've heard his name before. Uh, mm -hmm. He directed several episodes in the first uh, three, four seasons of Stargate SG-1. Um, I can't remember. I didn't write him down. I can't remember off the top of my head which they are. Uh, yeah, this is his fine. first of two directing credits this season. Mm -hmm. uh, so we will hear his name again. Uh, if I recall correctly, I believe that is for the next Atlantis episode. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. So, be for us in a couple of weeks. Uh, the story for Poisoning the Well was written by Mary Kaiser. Mm -hmm. This is her only Stargate Atlantis credit. This is her only Stargate credit. And this is oh. the one of only two or maybe three story credits, writing credits huh. that, <coughs> that she has. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so... The teleplay, though, uh, the story was yeah. by Mary Kaiser. The teleplay was da by Damien Kindler. Really? Yeah. Huh. Uh, and this is his <laughs> first of four writing credits for Atlantis. Oh, okay. So he doesn't <clears throat> wow. spend a lot of time with Atlantis, but he does get a few episodes in there. I mean, um, I guess I'll spoil it a little bit. Um, that that name surprises me. Yeah, Normally? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, last time that we had a Damien Kindler thing, I really, really liked it, but it was because the story was kind of right in his wheelhouse. <laughs> it was it was squarely in what he can do well, uh, and I thought it was great. Um, but normally, it's a bit more of a mixed bag. Yeah. But okay, anyway, sorry. Anyway, so that's it. Uh, we have mm -hmm. some guest actors. Uh-huh. We have uh, Paul McGillian as Dr. Carson Beckett. Yep. We have James Lafazanos as yep. Steve. Hey, yeah, Steve. <laughs> Steve, do you have a name? 
<laughs> how about, how about how Steve? We just go with Steve. <laughs> um, we have Dean Marshall returning as Sergeant Bates. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We have Alan Scarf, who plays Chancellor Drurin. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was born in 1946 in London, England. He is an actor known for Lethal Weapon, Andromeda, and Double Impact. Uh, uh-huh, is, is okay. it Double Impact? Is that is that a, a, a is that the movie that's like Armageddon but different? That's Deep Impact. That's Deep Impact, not Double Impact. Okay. No. So, all right. Um, uh, Alan Scarf uh, was frequently a performer for the Stratford Festival uh, in oh, the late nineties cool. and early late nineteen seventies and early nineteen nineties. Uh, he's oh, also yeah, a former yeah. associate director of Canada's Stratford Festival and the Everyman Theatre in Liverpool. Nice. Very nice. Um, his last IMDb credit uh, was a short video named Hastings Street in 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Just a few years after this episode aired. And his first IMDb credit came in the movie The Bitter Ash in 1963 when he played mm. Dez. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, we have Allison Hosick playing Perna. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may have recognized her before. Yeah. Uh, she played... Um, I don't have her name specifically. Uh, she played the scientist in Stargate SG-1's sixth season episode, Cure. Uh, this is one when we learn about Tritonin. Uh, huh. And uh, okay. so it's the same type of role. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but she was born in 1965 in Manitoba. Uh, she's known for Atlantis, R.L. Stein's The Haunting Hour, and Stargate SG-1. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so she played a scientist now in Atlantis and SG-1 that is dealing with potentially dangerous medicine and, you know, just a little bit beyond where perhaps they technically should be, but things are the way they are. That's right. Um, Her first IMDb credit came in 1991 in the movie White Light, where she played Rachel Rutledge. Very nice. Uh, We have uh, Neil Maffin, or Maffin, Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. Uh, He plays Meryl. Uh-huh, yep. And this is uh, the uh, the guy who uh, gets eaten by Steve and doesn't get eaten. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I thought you were going to say, you know, this is the guy with the terminal illness. Like, no, I mean, yeah, but you're right. He gets eaten by Steve, but doesn't get eaten. I mean, you know, he does have a terminal illness. <clears throat> um, right. He was born in 1959 in Shenandoah, Iowa. Uh-huh. Which is just kind of cool because, you know, I'm from Iowa, Brent. Yeah. Yeah, there's not a, we don't see Iowa all that We don't often. see Iowa a whole lot. Uh, that said, um, yeah, never mind. Uh, <laughs> a lot, there's a lot of famous actors in I, from Iowa. Of course. Um, uh, Ashton Kutcher, uh, yeah. uh, uh, Brandon Routh. Um, uh-huh. uh, I'm blanking. Out. There's, there's so many. Um, this guy who does a podcast named Zach? Yeah, yeah. I actor. wouldn't quite put myself in the same category as some of these other folks. Oh, no, um, you're famous in our house. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, anyway, Neil Maffin is an actor known for The 13th Warrior, Atlantis, and As the World Turns, which is oh, nice. uh, a, was a long time running soap opera. I think it's still, is it still on? Uh, maybe. I haven't looked that closely. 
Um, I don't know either because I don't pay attention to that stuff. But like, yeah, you know, my mom, my mom watched two or three soap operas when I was growing up. Uh One was As the World Turns. One was Guiding Light. And later on, uh, The Young and the Restless, she kind of came and went with that one. Yeah. And and she would record them (laughs) on our newfangled VCR. Oh. Right? And then so then she would uh, watch them. uh, and, And so I... I was exposed to many, many hours of soap operas from As the World Turns and Guiding Light uh, when I was young. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, now, Shock twist. The twin has arrived. <clears throat> what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they had a twin? Uh, you know, fortunately, from my perspective... Uh, these are the soap operas that stayed away from most of the supernatural. Uh, there were some that really delved into the supernatural and that just got weird. <laughs> um, but anyway. I had no idea. <laughs> um, uh, this Atlantis episode is one of Neil Maffin's final IMDb credits. Oh, okay. Um, gotcha. I guess I don't know. I didn't look that closely. If he was as, as the world turns, uh, it's possible that that started... Um, earlier than this and continued well past this uh, and I didn't look that closely because sometimes the order of things in IMDb uh, uh, is weird. Yeah. Uh, But anyway, still, this is one of the last things on uh, his first IMDb credit uh, was the TV series uh, Lady Blue in the episode I think this is old. I don't (laughs) <laughs> okay. I'm not. I'm not. I'm gonna. I'm gonna stop right there because I, I think I may have made a mistake with my show notes and not uh, completed not updated that them correctly. So, <laughs> so we're so, gonna uh, we're gonna cut that. Friends, it, what you can do is uh, you can you can jump onto the you can look up. Uh, let's see what we got here. You can look up Neil Maffin. You can jump on the discords. You can get us all caught up. What yep. was what was Neil's first IMDb credit? Yep. Uh, you know, maybe I have it right, or maybe I just made a mistake. Um, and, we'll find out. Uh, well, and I think that's going to be it for our guest actors. Yes. I see there's another one, but that one, like, who's that? I don't remember seeing that person. And so we're not going to worry gonna about I'm not going to worry about that. I mean, there, there was also like a tech person, technician who said a couple words, but I'm not worrying about that either. Yeah. <laughs> um, these are the big ones. Yes. Uh, the original air date for Poisoning the Well was August 20, 2004, uh-huh. uh, which is the same one as last week's episode, uh, yep. last of our week's episode of uh, Affinity. So if you want to know all of the fun things there, go to there for what including, happened and all of that. Including just how wrong I was about what Baby Cakes is. Ah, uh, you know, there you go. I haven't listened to our podcast, so I don't. No. I'll, then I'll keep it a secret. Okay. Nah, I won't keep it. I said it was going to be like this girl group. Yeah. Nah. Nah. It, but it wasn't a boy band either. It was like this like trio, this like like rap trio, sort of? Really? Question mark? Oh, yeah. No, it was it was, it was was all right. I mean, no, it wasn't all right. It wasn't all right at all. <laughs> it was so 2004. But uh, <laughs> but I was, I was wrong. I was okay. just wrong. All right. Uh, so I do have a couple of trivia scenes for yes. this. Um, one, there's a lot of similarities in this episode, um, with, and, and then with the process of finding a, a, a vaccine or serum for anthrax, uh, the father, uh, of the serum for anthrax was, uh, Farrell Mylan, 
Uh, he became mm. very respected, as did Robert Cook or Koch, who identified anthrax first and got a Nobel Prize in two- 1905. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, and of course, 1905 is roughly the same period as where this falls. This might be a yep. little bit further ahead than 1905, but yep. Um, those who became ill because of the serum for anthrax uh, suffered the same kind of symptoms as, uh, because of this serum, suffered the same kind of symptoms as victims of pulmonary anthrax. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, this, anth- yeah, anyway. Uh, and the mortality rate was about 50% for each. Huh. Um, yeah, okay. And then there was a female doctor uh, in doing these studies for anthrax was uh, uh, Perna Ruto in Finnish, which... Huh. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of close to the Dr. Perna. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. That's fun. Um, and many of the scenes from Hof uh, were shot in a disused wing of the Riverview Sanitarium. Ah, and that's why it looks so old. Yes. Well, I mean, that and the furniture. Yeah. And the clothes. And the clothes. And the lighting. Um, I do find it interesting that, uh, um, that the accent for the chancellor is, you know, a British accent. Yeah. But Perna's accent is thoroughly American Canadian. Canadian. Oh, yeah. She said uh, process a number of times. Yes. Um, anyway, the title for this le- episode in Less other languages, uh-huh. uh, the Russians call it Poisoned Spring. Mm-hmm. The Czech call it poisoned well. The mm-hmm. Hungarians call it poisoned well. Mm-hmm. The French call it serum. Mm-hmm. And the Germans? They call it... Um, uh, everybody makes a horrible choice. They call it deadly defense. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Which kind of, you know, it doesn't tip the hand quite as much as some of the other ones. But it I mean, definitely... Um, it's definitely yeah 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 so that's what i have (laughs) for trivia very good all right are you ready for the synopsis yeah let's dig into this all right this is the synopsis for poisoning the well it's a frozen tundra Nothing can survive but our heroes, Han and Luke, as they wander through the snowflakes on their trusty tauntauns. <laughs> oh, wait. This is Hoth, like, what? What? not Hoth. Sorry. Yeah, there's a just, just it's, it's how you pronounce the O. It, 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 well, it, it, it's, it's an H-O-F-F versus an H-O-T-H. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's Hoth. 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 With a yeah, th, not a yeah, hoth with a th. yeah, yeah. All right, sorry. <laughs> Let me try this again. Did you know? Did you know that it is <clears throat> almost, unless somebody is really exaggerating, it is almost impossible to distinguish the difference between a th and a th. Like you don't know which one I just did first. Yeah, you did. You did the the f first and the th second. Ah, or did I? Oh, shut up. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. I am not kidding. I did the, I'm not joking. I did the TH first and then the F second. I'm not kidding at all. <laughs> okay, fine. That's the point. <laughs> well, that's because um, in b- both of those are unvoiced consonants. Uh, that uh, means yeah. the, the sound comes not from the vocal cords, but from the shaping of the mouth. 
And in both situations, you have, with an F, you have your lips kind of curled around your teeth. Yep. And with a TH, you have your tongue kind of curled around your teeth. Yep. Uh, and since neither of them are voiced, um, so like if I were to go V versus V, uh, those are the voiced <laughs> antecedents. Yes. Could you tell the difference there? Not really. I think you did a V first and a and a voice TH second, but I'm not exactly sure. Yes, that's exactly what I did. Good job. <laughs> but however, it was dang tough to yeah, tell. Yeah. So uh, um, there you go. Uh, a little bit of, <laughs> of vocal stuff. Welcome to Linguistics Hour. I'm your host, Brent. And I'm Zach. <laughs> Welcome to Walking Through Linguistics. <laughs> Where today we're going to be talking about the Proto-Indo-European language. <laughs> uh, oh, boy. That's a different uh, kind of podcast. Yes. Yeah. All right. All right. We, we probably should talk about Stargate. <laughs> Let's talk about Stargate. This is, okay. in fact, a Stargate podcast. Stargate, Stargate, Stargate. Stargate, yeah. Okay. So, it's an early 20th century technology planet. Major John Shepard and his team are getting a tour of the city by none other than Chancellor Druin himself. The uh, He is the Chancellor of the Huffin people. They see the planet's geothermal generators. And Shepard stops McKay before he totally dismisses and insults their hosts. Probably yeah. a good thing. But the geothermals is nothing compared to what comes next. They enter a laboratory. And Druin introduces them to Perna, the lead scientist, and shows them a small vial of a drug the Hoffins have been working on for generations. Mm -hmm. This is exciting stuff! Okay. Mm -hmm. If successful, this drug will make the Hoffin people immune to the wraith culling! It's not ready yet, but they believe that by the time the wraith return in, you know, 50 or so years... They will have something viable. Mm -hmm. Shepard and his team, though, feel a little guilty since they woke up all the wraith and, and the Hoffins definitely don't have 50 years. So, Shepard volunteers Dr. Beckett to help speed the process along. When Beckett enters the lab and his eyes locate Dr. Perna, well, let's just say that we'll need to pick his jaw up off the floor <laughs> before he can continue to talk. <laughs> He's clearly attracted to her. And frankly, she's attracted to him. So, you know, mutual. That, that's fine. It works out. It works out. Uh, Beckett reviews the Hoffman research and discovers that they are actually on the right track. They've got something here. Mm. But the Hoffins only have wraith cells that are more than 50 years old and not quite alive to work with. And so Beckett gathers a sample from the Wraith Shepherd has now named Steve, who currently lives in the Atlantis Brig. Mm -hmm. The serum continues to show signs of potential. Perna and Beckett working side by side. Beckett and Perna. Perna and Beckett. Beckett and Perna. Uh, Beckett Perna. Per mean, per Perna Beckett. Meanwhile, Shepard continues to interrogate Steve. Steve is getting more and more hungry and frustrated, but still stubbornly refuses to give Shepard any useful intelligence. Now, after the very nifty video montage, Perna oh, and yeah. Beckett hug. They have found a viable <laughs> serum that now just needs to be tested on a live wraith. 
I mean, maybe they're just hugging, but whatever. <clears throat> no, no, you're right. You're right. No, they, they, well, I suppose maybe they have just let their passions just explode out of them. That's kind of, yeah, that's what I was alluding is that like, look, we can see the sample. Oh, let's hug. <laughs> well, so clearly we took it differently. I was like, hey, look, we found a successful serum. Yes. Let's hug. Yes. <laughs> and of course, now that I've hugged you, let me give you a little extra squeeze because yep. I like you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyway. After the video montage, uh, they hug, they have found a viable, viable serum, serum, and now they need to test it on a live wraith. The Hoffins want to inoculate one of their citizens and test that inoculation against Steve. Now, yep. Dr. <clears throat> Weir voices appropriate ethical concerns about using a prisoner for scientific experiments. Mm -hmm. But, nevertheless, she relents and allows the testing to proceed. Enter Merrill. He's a terminally ill patient and is willing to be the test subject. Mm -hmm. He's given the drug. Dr. Beckett gives Merrill every opportunity to back out of the experiment. But there is no need. He says there is no need to go through this test. But Merrill is resolute. He wants to help his people. So Shepard brings Steve to Hoff and insists that Steve give him some information or they won't give Steve the sickly human lunch. <laughs> Steve tells them that the, all the Wraith Hive ships have woken up, but refuses to say much more than that. Still, Merrill walks into the cell. Steve stares at him and then thrusts his hand at Merrill's chest to feed. But he's not able to. The serum works. It prevented uh -huh. Merrill from getting sucked dry of his life force. Woohoo! Merrill departs. Steve is mad. He was really, really hungry, and he wanted a Merrill sandwich. And he didn't get it. <laughs> now I'm just going to have to settle for crackers. Yeah, but he doesn't eat crackers. Oh, then he's just... Suddenly, Steve gets sick himself. What did you do to me? He collapses, wanting to know what they did. He dies. Yes. Oh. Uh, uh, yeah? Okay. Anyway, an autopsy reveals that the vaccine entered Steve's system, mutated in some way, and somehow attacked all of his organs at once, and he died. Dead. Dead. Dead, Steve. The Atlantis team is disturbed by this revelation, but the Hoffins are happily surprised. This not only gives them a chance to protect their people, but also a chance to strike back at the Wraith. Yeah! Yes! Chancellor Durin immediately orders the creation of more of the vaccine and begins inoculating the whole population. Shepard expresses some concern that upon discovering this new serum, the Wraith won't simply leave the Hoffins alone. They will actively kill the entire population and seek out anyone who had contact with the Hoffins because the Wraith could not allow this new bioweapon to get out amongst the humans of the Pegasus galaxy. Durant seems unconvinced of this. Beckett wants to do more tests before this goes into, you know, we have one test with one subject and all of this stuff, but... Perna stands with the Chancellor. This has been the focus of generations of work. We cannot stop now. And then the kicker is discovered. 
and not the the, the, the the football kicker. This is the kicker, the, the twist, <laughs> the twist at the end of the story, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Right? The vaccine begins to kill some of the recipients. Oh, no. Yes, but the numbers are steady. Only 50% of those who receive the vaccine die from the vaccine. <laughs> but the other 50% are now protected. This is great news. Thanos was right. Yes, yes. Perna unfortunately, is one of the 50% who dies. Mm -hmm. Beckett is super, super sad. Shepard believes that Chancellor Ruren is abusing his power as Chancellor. But after a vote of all of the people, apparently all of the people of the Hoffman planet, uh, 96% of them agree with the Chancellor that the serum is the way to go. The serum, even with this 50% mortality rate, is worth it to them. Mm -hmm. Shepard and his team refuse to assist the Hoffins anymore. Uh, there's be no Atlantean manufacture and distribution of this vaccine to other planets. They depart, convinced that the next time they visit the planet Hoff, no one will be left alive. Victory at all costs. Maybe it's not as good a vision of the future as we thought. Mm -hmm. The end. The end. So, Brent. Yeah. Poisoning the well. Uh-huh. I want to know what you think of this episode. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, Zach. Oh, my goodness. So, <clears throat> one thing that we're going to have to do. Yes. Is that we are going to have to acknowledge that this story, this television story, had a bunch of parts about it which could be easily used to nitpick at it. And justifiably so. Like... 96% of the people that sounds like a that sounds like a uh, you know every time that we hear of an election now with 96% of the people in favor of something like that that's a fraudulent election right right like yep. like um uh that uh that the the chancellor was making all of these statements that um you know I've already I've already brought it to the council and they would agree like you know we we over and over and over again he was expositing um, what was happening, not showing us what was happening. And we just kind of had to take him at his word uh, within the, within the construct of the story. <clears throat> that was something that like, I'm, you know, that's an easy thing to nitpick at. Maybe he was lying. Maybe there was something, you know, maybe there's a whole bunch of people who don't want this at all. Um, uh, let's see. What else were the nitpicky things? Um, the uh, decision about whether or not we are willing to experiment on the wraith. I think it it appears to be central to the story, but I actually think it's a red herring. I'll tell you more in a minute. All right, but uh, that's that's something that you can easily get a hook into if you if you wanted to if you wanted to do that. Um, the um, lack of scientific oversight with the process that's also a thing that I think is um, inconsistent, and I can say a little bit more about that in just a second. But the point is. That all these things that I'm just talking about right now, th those are things that could easily let a person get their get their get their hands around in order to say, look, this story is not that great. There's there's all these things in here that's like, what what about this? What about that? What about that? But I think that that's not actually giving the story good service, because what this story is actually about is unintended consequences. That's what this story is about. It's a long run up to unintended consequences. A person could make the argument that therefore the story then is a little bit weak because it wasn't telling us about unintended consequences. It was constantly kind of 
you know, quote, throwing us off the trail, unquote, with all these other ethical stories, but it's actually about unintended consequences. However, however, Zach, I got 43 minutes of an ethical quandary, just one after the other. It was great. I loved it. <laughs> I, was, I was sitting there just watching it, just like, ooh, that's a juicy one. Yeah, what are you going to do? Ooh, that's a, that's interesting thinking. <clears throat> so um, so now I'll kind of start at the beginning here. Right, we're we're engaged with uh, we're engaged with a with a for lack of a better way of saying it pre nuclear uh, society, um, you know one that's like early twentieth century as you said, and they're in the middle of trying to find uh, you know an inoculation against the, the the as they say the wraith, but you know it's more like the effects of the wraith, with this hope that they'll go away. La la la. You know, you already covered it in the synopsis. Yeah, that's fine. <clears throat> the um uh the the sort of that 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 feeling of like responsibility that our Atlantis friends have right now about like, you know, like waking up the wraith and having to deal with the consequences of that. We're still dang early in season one. This is episode six of season one, right? There's seven. still episode seven. seven? Well, it depends Fine. on if you count rising as one or two. Fair. We're still way early, right? We're, yep. we're a third of the way through. Not even. Um, maybe we are. Whatever. It doesn't matter. We're, we're, we're still super early on. Um, <clears throat> so finding, finding the real, like solid footing for what the story of Atlantis is going to be, I think is still kind of coalescing a little bit. Um, and that's fine. Uh, but it's, you know, manifesting itself in this, like this, this aspect of, of, um, suddenly our heroes have to like take the blame for all sorts of things. Like, you know, coming across a society that like thinks they have 50 years and they don't. Sure, but you know, a meteor might smash into them tomorrow. Like, you know, like some there's some things that you just can't do. But whatever, that doesn't make for good storytelling. And then uh, interjecting the uh, sort of the the sciency part was fine. That montage was really long. Like, it was surprisingly long for yeah. what they what they were doing. It's like really you gotta you gotta give me thirty seconds of them looking in microscopes. Like. Okay, fine. But then they, they, you know, then they get it. They get the, they get the antidote. Then the moral quandaries begin. Do we use Steve or not as a human subject? And the short answer to that one is, hold on. Steve isn't human. But the second answer to that is, well, well, hang on, hang on. We aren't monsters. That's what makes us human. I love that. Super great quandary, right? Like, like is what we do like, to ourselves a thing that makes us human or what we do to things that are not like ourselves that makes us human i think that's a great thing to consider i also think that the nuances of that answer shift with context uh that while i absolutely love how star trek has um you know, they've played around with this quite a lot, but, you know, Star Trek has the uh, prime directive and the whole aspect of what the Federation will or will not do uh, when it comes to kind of questions along these lines. Like these things are defined. Yep. Um, and we are and we're in a spot now where, um, you know, to keep using the Star Trek analogy, this this particular moment is a lot more like Star Trek Enterprise than it is like the next generation. We're 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 figuring things out. We're like, what actually do we want to do here? Do we want to? hold ourselves to the standards that we have when we're back home or do we be honest about this and say actually this is different because that's not a human and also secondly that thing is literally trying to exterminate us i think that there's room for argument in there now i do want to take a minute right there because that was another point that i was sort of like 
you know, not sure where I felt about where it was going. For literary purposes, the Wraith are pure evil, certainly at this point in our story. Right. 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 And so introducing any element that starts to hint that that might not be true is it's a little premature, I think. Or you haven't spent any time making it reasonable for our heroes to have that kind of a thought inside their head. Episode one just laid it bare, just laid it bare. The queen person said it plain. Like, we don't view you as sentient creatures. We view you as pigs that can talk. Like, (laughs) right? Yeah. Like, you're food, man. Like, the fact that we're having a conversation is already wasting time. Shut up and get in the slaughterhouse. And so, and we're like, you know. We're not pigs. We're people. And, you know, so we take umbrage with that, as we should. And here we go. Here's the tension of the story. But it it immediately puts on kind of thin ice this notion of prime directiveness when it comes to this situation. Like, like it's hard. And then let's be also just brutally genuine for like. Two, two ways to say to understand this next statement that I'm going to make. This isn't real. Number one, this isn't real because it's a story and like, you know, we don't have contact with a blood-sucking race or whatever. But two, like, it's a story. This is supposed to make us, like, have adventure, you know, have adventuresome stories, give us interesting things to think about. The decisions that get made inside a story aren't necessarily the same decisions that you would make outside of a story. So it's okay for a uh, for Steve to be almost allegorical, right? Like an embodiment of an idea, not necessarily something that we would actually have to morally struggle with as far as this question is concerned. I very much enjoy the moral struggle, but I'm just acknowledging like, especially at this point in the story, it's okay if we just go, yeah, totally experiment on Steve. It'll work out great. Like, is it brutal? Yeah. Is what they're facing brutal? Yes. Does it mean that they have made uh, a, a, um, uh, moral concessions? Yeah, yeah, probably, definitely, um, <laughs> probably, definitely. Um, and so, in that regard, it's not like you could just brush it off. But on the but but the flip on that is like the story is just so dang new, and the wraith are so dang evil. Why are we equivocating about this now? Maybe later when we meet some wraith that aren't so bad. Where we can suddenly go, oh, wait a minute, you aren't all a monolith? Like, oh, maybe we should think about this differently. You know, like, that's a good time for that point, but now is a little early. Well, let me let me just respond to that real quick. Yeah. Um, the only one who was really taking time to think about the rights of Steve was weird. And that is precisely who she is. But wasn't uh, Beckett... Um well, Beckett seemed to be more concerned about giving, um, oh yeah, yeah giving yeah, yeah, yeah. Meryl to the wraith. <clears throat> yeah, right. Yeah, we didn't Meryl. I don't. You know, you don't have to go through this process. Yeah, because you could die from this. Die horribly. Yeah. Uh, so that's where his ethics came in. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't really so much about. Um, yeah, that's fair. Steve's. Um, but uh, it was Weir who was the one who was making uh, the question, the moral question about Steve, um, which is a really uh, inconvenient question because now you're saying, okay, this thing that that might be humanoid is clearly not human. 
um, and is actively trying to kill us and thinks that we're pigs, um, yeah. her job is to humanize that. And she does that. Now, yeah. now you can yeah. you can make the argument about whether or not she should or shouldn't do it. I mean, ultimately, right. she does accept um, Shepard's position and yep. goes ahead with it and gives her green light on it. Um, but that's her process. So there you go. Yep. Okay. Continue. That's good. Thank you. Um, the the other thing that I thought was probably, I imagine in two thousand four. No one was thinking about vaccine safety. And here in 2023, that that hesitancy to accept a vaccine like rang really hard. Right. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Um, and so I, I I think that it is absolutely worth um, acknowledging that a society that values the scientific process like the Hoffins did wouldn't have rushed ahead with accepting that I, I like it, I, I think that that is a that's a plot hole but it's okay in my mind because we only have 43 minutes to tell a dang story we can't just sit here and be all like and now months have transpired and a fully you know fully vetted testing blah, blah, blah. no 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 and it was of course supposed to bring up the the um uh the 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 tension of the uh unintended consequences you know at the tail end uh, and so you kind of had to kind of have this thing going, but I, I was watching that and I could imagine that there are people who watch that episode of Atlantis in these days who are prone to thinking that science doesn't actually do science stuff and that it's all political. And that's not true. Like, that's just false. And so having uh, having a story where that did not happen and giving a person the ability to point to the screen like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and I don't know what movie where he's like holding the beer and a cigarette and pointing at the screen. Um, <clears throat> uh, that's doing a disservice to us right now. Like that's not a thing that happens like that. that, that that's not our reality. So there you go. There's the soapbox done. So I I don't disagree with you, but it is unfair to say that politics don't play a role in science. No, because, uh, so, yeah. like, 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 science, if it is done purely, right, if, if it is following purely and completely uh, the scientific method, which is hypothesize, try to disprove hypothesis, and if I can't disprove hypothesis... Maybe hypothesis is true. Um, you know, that, that process is outside the bounds of political machinations. But right. humans do that process, and we don't do that process very well sometimes. But so, it's... Go ahead. So, I just want to say that uh, a, a political process enters into the scientific process. Now... I don't want to suggest that um, that because that is true, uh, at least in part, that we must uh, immediately be suspicious of all things science. Right. Right. Um, which I think was your point, is that the, the suspicion comes in the politics, not in the science. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But the... the uh, it, it's... I'm not going to let you get away with just calling science great with, with, with outside of, of the politics. It's still there. 
and I and I didn't mean to imply that it was politics free. What I meant to imply was that people who make a who make money doing sciencey stuff, they make their best money when they prove somebody else wrong. And so that is the uh, that's the engine that lets the scientific method do its work. Somebody out there is going to make a bigger name for themselves and get more research funding and more prestige if they prove that a vaccine uh, kills 50 people, 50% of people, right? Versus somebody else who, uh, versus somebody who confirms it is probably the better way to say it. So the system rewards people who discover that something is wrong. So people are constantly trying to find things that are wrong. And sometimes they can, and sometimes they cannot. Uh, the You're right, politics does enter into it. There are plenty of examples of people with political influence who stifle research because they want their idea to not be proven wrong. And then we are aware of the stories where it just doesn't matter. Like enough enough evidence starts to present itself or the or the particular scientists in question are are dogged in their in their research. La 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 la. But what does not happen <clears throat> is a political figure going to a scientific community and say, I need you to say this is good. And all the scientists nod their head and go, Yes, I will say that. That doesn't happen. That that doesn't happen. The, the, a scientist going, I am very comfortable in my squishy position and I do not want my authority challenged. And I have come up with all these papers that say that the world is flat. Therefore, I will not abide anybody who comes to me saying differently. That happens. That happens regularly. So. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, I probably beat that horse dead. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> or deader. Uh, so, yeah. So, let's let me wrap this up. I thought this was a delightful story because of the ethical things that kept happening all through the thing. And it gave me something to chew on, you know, should we actually be considering the Wraith uh, a, a, a person in the same degree as what the Geneva Convention holds? Do we actually think that um, distributing an inoculation without doing proper testing is a good idea or a bad idea? Do we actually think that... Um, that we should expect a society to hold to our values such that when we uh, raise objections to how the procedure is going, that we, it should hold water. Do we actually think that it is possible for a group of people to have 96% unanim uh, unanimity on a on the chance of dying, <laughs> like a 50-50 chance of dying? I think that's a bit of a stretch, um, but maybe that society is different than ours because we've. I love to talk about that all the time. Um, yeah, yeah. I just had tons and tons of things to kind of just like chew on and enjoy, and it didn't have a like nice ending with a bow. So I, I really liked this one. <laughs> I had forty three minutes of just be like, "Ooh, this is good." I, I really enjoyed this one, and of course, of course, it moved the story along forward. Uh, you know, what are the consequences now of this? decision shepherd is saying the wraith are going to figure out that they can't actually like eat y'all and not only that if they try to eat you they die they're going to blow you up my friend and the chancellor's position is well then heck they blow us up but i mean come on don't we have the right to make that decision for ourselves you know like i thought ah oh, so good so good zach yeah so 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 that's that's generally where i was with that <laughs> what about you so what do you think about this i i am of a similar Mindset. Um, yeah. There are uh, there are some weaknesses in the storytelling. Um, yes. Uh, the the uh, 
the montage was boring. I mean, oh yeah, they they did it. <laughs> uh, I I found the the camera work of of Shepard and Steve moving around the 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 cell. I found that actually kind of interesting. Yes, yeah, visually, um, visually, and they did a very nice job of of. Uh, you know, trying to make the the sciency part of that montage interesting, um, mm-hmm. and and you know it was laudable. But uh, the the best I can say about that montage is that it was a little bit longer than it should have been to try to convey that this process wasn't quite as simple as we wanted to in our storytelling to make it. Sure. Um, still, um, the. Uh, I love the questions, right? In this this one, like you, you know, the all of the various questions, the the ethical concerns. Um, I am very glad that this episode uh, posed the questions, put different characters in different positions within those questions, mm-hmm. and didn't resolve it. Yeah, right. Um, you know, Shepard has his position. The uh, uh, Chancellor Druran had his position. Perna had her position. Mm-hmm. Beckett had his position, um, and and none of them changed their positions. Um, one thing that's really nice is that they actually listened to each other. Yeah. Right. Yes. Um, let's just assume for a moment that this community is as single-minded as they are. Yes. Um. And certainly in the storytelling, the implication is that Druran is speaking, is just the, the voice of the people, yeah. not, not trying to manipulate the people, right? That, that's right. how the story is laid out in front of us. Yes, yes. Right? Um, and, and so to sit there and have him listen to Shepard's uh, you know, attack um, and have him sit there like, look... We are of one mind here. We are of one thought here. And yes, this is terrible. 50% of our people are going to die. But when we are successful, this the other 50% will live. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he doesn't listen to Shepard's second half of the argument of, well, what's the ramifications? What are the Wraith's actions toward you once they realize that you are dangerous to them? You know, it's possible, as Shepard said, it's possible that the the wraith would go there, suck on them. Oh, we're not getting any nourishment from them. Well, let's move on. Mm-hmm. And they may have moved on and not destroyed the planet. Yeah. Um, but as soon as you introduce this element of not only does feeding on you uh, not give me nourishment, but then it also kills me. That's the moment where everything we've seen about the wraith so far uh, he is very accurate in saying they're just going to wipe you out from orbit. They're not oh, yeah. going to let this go. Um, and Druran doesn't listen to that. Um, but still, you get this this uh, dialogue that even with their differences, Druran is like, um, we should continue to talk. Yeah. Um, which I appreciate in in our world today. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the punch of a vaccine having a 50% casualty rate um, yeah. strikes home differently in 2022 than it did in 2004. Yes. Uh, in 2004, uh, there were anti-vaxxers out there, but they were a small voice. Yes. Um, 
the the voice of anti-vaxxers um, grew significantly uh, in uh, the COVID situation. Um, yeah. And, I mean, so folks, you know, I, I'm, I'm a supporter of the vaccines. Go get vaccinated. Yep. Me right. too. Yeah. Um, uh, there, there is room within that conversation to talk about why one wouldn't get vaccinated. Um, and I'm happy to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know friends, I have friends who um, have not and do not plan to get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have their own reasons for that. Uh, but just that, that question there just hits, it hits harder now than it did uh, 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. You know, but you get these ethical questions. What do you do with your prison? You talked about this being a a, a story about, uh, you know, like the Wraith. It's just a story, and the Wraith are supposed to be evil and all of that stuff. But it's a story, which is what does what science fiction is always supposed to do, in my right. opinion, is to give us something that allows us to talk about this in a way that is less dangerous personally than yeah. if we were to talk about the specifics of this analogy. Yeah. Right. Um, right. And so, okay. I mean, let's say, let's say we're in the cold war. Um, yeah. The American propaganda against Russians. And I suspect the Russian propaganda against Americans is tantamount to saying they are an evil force that wants nothing more but to kill yep. you and eat you. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, now, how do you talk about that in sci-fi? Well, you create a villain who actually does that. Yes. And and here we're now at a point where we have no evidence to support the idea that the Wraith are not monolithic. Right. That may come. It may not. But we don't have right. it now. Right, right now, the Wraith are monolithic. Yep. And they want to eat us. Period. Yes. yes. That gives us the capacity to then ask the question, okay, they want to kill us. They have no remorse in killing us. What does that mean for me? How mm-hmm. do I respond? Mm-hmm. Do I still respond in a different way? Do I respond in kind because they show no remorse in wanting to kill me? Right. That's a fabulous question. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And this episode, actually in that moment, makes that even more important of a question to wrestle with uh, because we don't have any evidence that they're non-monolithic. Right. Um, it becomes more complicated if we discover that they are not monolithic. Um, but so I just, I, I love that question. Um, mm-hmm. I would have liked to, I would have liked to see that expanded and explored a little bit more. Um, but... At the same time, this is, I think, as you, it's, it's not, the, the scope of this was broader than just that question. Right. Um, and when we walk away, we're still walking away with the same question. Yes. Right? Yes. We still yep. have the same, we have a different perspective. Yep. So, like, um, Brent, you and I, before we started recording today, talked for 45 minutes about jobs. Yes. And about where we are in our jobs and where we want to be and if we can get to where we want to be in our current places or if we need to move. Yep. Um, And at the end of that conversation, we were still in our current jobs. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right? (laughs) 
<laughs> but the process of thinking about it yeah provided for both of us i think the the uh handholds if you will to to have a potential of moving forward and taking a next step yes yeah um and i think this is an episode uh that does that for us and it mm-hmm. does it well um it, it the the story is there and there's not much to the story but it is a great uh bowl if you will for all of these different questions that gives a chance to examine it and really dig into it still be entertained for 43 minutes and walk away saying what do i do now yeah i i, I guess that's that's kind of where i'm at i enjoyed it as you were talking about that i was i was also thinking through um thinking through the end punch of uh the 50% death rate and 96% of the people choosing that and um you know as i'm really examining that so that's another one that i'm going to just accept at face value and here's why if i start really thinking about that deeply um 96% of all people including children probably not um 50% does that mean that 50% of families will perish because this is like a genetic thing or does that mean that 50% of people in any given family will die it it suddenly strikes me as one of those statements that is easy to say when you're talking about an entire like huge population of people. But when you start thinking about it, what that actually means for a person or for a small group of people, it suddenly becomes much, much less realistic that 96% of the people would be okay with it um, versus rolling the dice and trying to find another way to uh, push back against the wraith. Yeah, uh, it would it would seem like something that you would like 96 percent of the people would get behind if there was literally like Wraith sweeping the planet, like if that was actively <laughs> happening. Right. Right. Um, but, you know, at the moment, they're still they're still kind of out there somewhere. You don't know when they're going to be here, but they're not here right now. And so you're telling me that uh, a family of four sat down and looked at each other and said, we're okay with both of the kids dying or we're okay with both of the parents dying or we're okay with a kid and a parent, you know what I mean? Like, like, like that seems less, uh, plausible or it suddenly just way escalates the tragedy that just wasn't shown on the screen. Right. Like they they just didn't even, it was just, it was just basically lost over at that point. Um, you know, the death of Perna was supposed to try to be that moment for us, but I mean, I don't know. Y'all just met like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, and, and this is this is where some of the story gets a little bit weak. Uh, Perna yes. is designed to be uh, the emotional face of the Hoffman people. Yes, and and she is that. Yeah, but, yeah. But uh, we don't get enough of it to to be so emotionally invested. We're like, oh, at least this is me, right? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, Beckett. You're the girl that you were attracted to and interested in died. Yep, uh, and 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 that hurts, I, and I'm sorry it hurts, and you know, 
you're going to mourn that and move on. Yep. I mean, you know, and, and this took place maybe over a few weeks. Right. Might have been a whole month. Um, and if this is somebody that I'm supposed to really invest in, um, I need more of yeah. that. I, I'm thinking of um, episode from SG-1, 100 Days, when yeah. when uh, O'Neill gets stuck on that planet for ninety day, for, for three months, right? Yeah. And he falls in love with, with the woman, and I can't remember her name. And, and it ends, and he goes back, and she's holding her... Her, her stomach, like maybe I'm actually pregnant and yeah. and and gonna have his baby, but I didn't say anything. You know, who knows? There there was a, an emotional gut punch to that. Yes, um, that uh, we don't get in this episode because they're busy talking about other things. Oh yeah. Um, and and I'm not saying that they should have stopped talking about the other things so that they could tell us more about this story. I mean, you could have, but then it would have been a different story. A different story. Um, I think. I get the feeling that we are watching sort of the equivalent of kind of like a Greek play where there's a character who's supposed to represent an idea. And when we're, when you and me, we're trying to, we're trying to take this story and put, and put people in it because there's plenty of good drama that can happen when you're considering actual people. Mm -hmm. And that's where this story kind of starts getting weak. People are making, you know, folks are making way too broad of decisions. Like the impacts are way too big. It's, it's not quite, personal but it is good questions these are good these are good ponderance these things 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 ponder on yeah yeah um well i think it's probably time to uh pinpoint these chevrons yeah yeah Uh, i think so too so i ask you as i do every week Uh uh-huh how many chevrons are you going to give poisoning the well yeah so the weak parts of the story i think cannot be ignored I think that that you can't just hand wave over the whole thing and be all like, this is, this is super duper great because it asks these really interesting questions and we're just going to completely ignore all these weird little spots about the thing. However, I think that the weak spots um, uh, did not detract to the enjoyment of the story for me like it might for others. I really enjoyed these questions. I enjoyed how they were handled, even though sometimes they were a little bit trite. And I enjoyed the big questions that were being asked, even though on the screen, how those questions were being asked and then pondered were a little bit thin compared Mm -hmm. to what they probably should have been um, given. So uh, it's not a seven, but I think it's a six for me. and I imagine that if I had let those small parts uh, get more of a hold inside of like my enjoyment of the story, it'd probably be closer to like even a four. But it just didn't. I just let the I let those things just roll right on by as I was kind of pondering these big these big questions. And I thought that they did a good job asking the questions, uh, really, and and watching people kind of struggle with it, even though they had to kind of move through it relatively quickly. Part of the reason why I was surprised that Damian Kindler wrote it. As we were really talking about it, I became less surprised that Damian <laughs> Kindler wrote it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. So six out of seven for me. What about you? Yeah, um, uh, I'm just going to start with a six out of seven as well. Um, okay. yeah. I, I for the same basic reasons, right? There there are weaknesses in the story. Um, it is pretty pretty strongly linear, which is something yes, that, yes. That, that Damian Kindler does really well. Yes, I'll put that in quotations. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's really linear <laughs> uh, 
you know, there there are some weaknesses and things. Um, I think that those can't be ignored. Um, but it does. And here's the thing: is like Stargate as a whole likes to ask some questions, but also gets a little skittish about mm. delving into some of these high-end um, sci-fi questions. Yeah. Right? Uh, Stargate is, you know, it, it, it's designed to be fun space opera. Yes. Um, and then if it asks good questions, that's fine, but that's not where we're about. Yeah. And we have seen several episodes uh, that they kind of skirt on asking questions and pull back before they really dig into them. Mm-hmm. And this is an episode that dives straight into that and is unafraid to do that. And yeah. I appreciate that. And um, I, 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 can't, I can't knock the episode when they do that and they do that so well. Yeah, right. Um, but again, there it's not a perfect episode. Right. So I'm not going to give it all seven. So six. Not, nope. Doesn't get all seven. Yep. Yep. All right. That's six. Nice. Um, yes. Are you ready for some predictions? Yeah. Let's do, take a look. All right. Uh, where would you like to start? I can go to the discords because I'm halfway there. Okay. Um, and by the time I get there, you're going to be at the Facebooks. Okay. We got some predictions. All right. Hit us up. Uh, let's see here. Okay. Uh, David undoubtedly, I think I saw that he emailed, so so I'm not going to tell you what, uh, what that, but he did post a meme and it, it, and a meme was, (laughs) the meme is good. Go to discord and see the meme. It's good. Okay. 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 We got, uh, we got Jen. Hi, Jen. Hi, Jen. All right. Prediction now free of COVID. Thanks guys. Oh, you're welcome, Jen. I'm glad to hear that. Oh my God! I I might I might finally fall for Atlantis, or it might be that it's simply Carson Beckett's accent. Spoiler here: it is indeed Carson's accent. <laughs> In this newest episode of SGA, our flag team has made contact with the Hoffins, a civilization that is trying to come up with a drug against the Wraith. Shepard promised help in exchange for the vaccine. Doctor Best Doctor Carson Beckett is reluctantly leaving Atlantis in order to work with the lead scientist Perna. He's instantly smitten with her. The planet ain't so bad after all, Doc. Who would have thought that he that he be the Daniel Jackson of Atlantis, a girl on every planet? <laughs> <laughs> in a collective effort, Perna and Carson succeed in their advances toward the drug and each other, and towards their advances towards the drug and their advances towards each other. <laughs> yeah. That's where that's where the story suddenly takes a very dark twist. This episode will likely spark a lot of discussion between Z and B. I felt uh, it felt it felt. Ugh. It left me feeling really ambiguous toward it, and my moral compass is spinning in circles a few hours afterwards. Ooh, yeah. yeah. I like that we were not fed the happy-go-lucky ending on a silver spoon. However, the ending we got just felt unfinished, and it tarnished the few joyful scenes for me. My highlight of it was definitely Dr. Beckett. He's become my favorite character so far, but the episode as a whole left me feeling just meh. Three chevrons from my part. Wow. Now I'm going with my gut feeling for ZMB. Zach uh, and I might be on the same page, so three chevrons from him as well. Brent sparked a deep discussion that will uplift his rating to a four. Wow. (laughs) So no, definitely more buoyed than that, but I can definitely see that. Like, you know, you can... 
easily be in that zone. Yes. Thank you, Jen. And then we have uh, Sean, I believe. Hi, Sean. This episode Hi, felt Sorry, very much. It's <laughs> okay. <laughs> This episode felt very much like a familiar SG-1 episode, but I couldn't place which one at first. Secret lab, drug to save all. Then I saw the actress that played Perna. Ah, yes. The birth of Tritonin. A very similar planet here, too. Steve is a nice guy. He's very smiley. <laughs> Makes me wonder why the Wraith have evolved a pretty sharp set of gnashers. Uh, they don't uh, really need the teeth, after all, to be fair. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, cue piano music and ethical discussions to make this one a seven Chevron episode Whoa. easily. Very close. You wouldn't recognize him, but Durin played uh, an uh, Alsarian on Voyager. I don't remember that. Um, of course, it's been a long time since I've seen Voyager. Yeah. So I, I have, I, I recall recognizing, not this time around, but I recall recognizing him from being, from seeing him in plenty of other star sci-fi uh shows in the past mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and it's i'm sure when i watched this the first time i was much closer to voyager at that point in time so i would have uh put two and two together he also plays um i think a romulan in a next generation episode ah um i, I could be nice but he does, he's in at least a few different uh star, star trek episodes uh-huh Yep. Yep. And the, and and therefore continues the long tradition of Stargate Star Trek crossover. Yep. Absolutely. That's all we got for uh, the discords. Okay. Well, thanks uh, everybody. Thank thanks you very much. Thanks, we have uh, we have a few uh, comments on the Facebooks. Uh huh. We start with Adrian. Hi, Adrian. Adrian says, "I like this story a lot. I think the execution could have been better. Mm -hmm. It feels like a big story that takes place in a small room with a handful of characters." Yeah, you yeah. never get a real sense of what the society was really like. Also, I feel Atlantis is missing a moral compass character like Daniel Jackson to comment on the rights and wrongs of such division decisions. Mm, mm -hmm, I could, mm -hmm. I could see that. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say four from Zachary and five from Brent. <laughs> Adrian, you pulled out my full name there. Awesome. <laughs> that only gets used in very special occasions. Yeah, I don't get that very often, but uh, appreciate it. Thank you, Adrian. Um, yeah, I, I I don't disagree with that. Um, I, I appreciated the the ethical quandary that is in this episode uh, more. Uh, if if it had failed to, in my opinion, land the ethical questions. Um, oh wow! Yeah, this thing would be a train wreck. <laughs> then, then, yeah, I would definitely put it in the the lower numbers that we see from. Oh people. yeah, yep. Uh, next is from Rowan. Hi, Rowan. Rowan says the team are visiting the ice planet of Hoth. Wait, wait check notes. Sorry, that's the twentieth <laughs> century American it's planet of funny. Hoth. Yes, Rowan, I already got that one. <laughs> Where the costuming department are wildly uncreative regarding alien fashion choices. Yeah, I won't yep. argue that yep. point. These yep. nice folks aren't expecting to pay the Wraith tax anytime soon, so let's not say anything that might upset them. In the meantime, the Hoffins are developing a vaccine they hope will make Wraith cullings a thing of the past. Perhaps a pretty sci scientist can persuade Dr. Beckett to lend a hand? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Time for a science montage! <laughs> 
And after lunch, maybe some light war crimes featuring Steve the Wraith. <laughs> Is it just me, or does it seem like a bad idea to transport Steve to Hoff rather than conducting the experiment in Atlantis's secure facility where I he also, already is. I thought that exact same I thing. I thought so too. Yeah, me too. Yep. Um, uh, they continue. The drug works, but it also kills Steve, which has implications both ethical and practical. Oh, and yeah. by the way, the Hoffen test subject is dead too, but the Hoffen leadership aren't about to let a little thing like a respiratory illness with a high mortality rate stop them from living their lives exactly as they choose. Precisely. Precisely. Masks off, man. Yeah. Uh, poor Dr. Beckett. It really <laughs> sucks when you accidentally get roped into helping a whole planet do self-genocide. And then, on top of everything, your new lady friend dies. Zero yep. out of five stars. Whoa! <laughs> Won't be returning to Hoff anytime soon. <laughs> do not like it. Yeah. No, well, no. So, so that, that would be like... No, no, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. This is a reasonably well-constructed and well-paced story with a strong mm -hmm. emotional core that raises a lot of ethical questions. Zach and Brent should get a good discussion out of it. Brent may even give it a seven. And yeah, Zach will give it a almost. five and a half. This episode yeah, has an IMDb rating of 7.4, which is a 3.5 chevrons. Yeah. <laughs> putting it in the bottom, bottom half, half of Stargate yeah. episodes overall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Yep. Uh, and then uh, they continue with uh, the IMDb to Chevron conversion scale. Okay. So all I right. am not going to read all of that now, but if you but want there. to go there and find it. Yeah. And then we have Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Kevin says, hi, Zach. Hi, Brent. I'm predicting some good talk generated by this episode, and while imagining all this talk that could be had, I wrote some notes. Number uh -huh. one, a Wraith vaccine? Interesting concept. Number two, you know, considering this episode is about a miracle drug that is supposed to save their entire race, I find it odd that they chose the same actress from the SG-1 episode The Cure that Zach mentioned earlier. Again, yeah. <laughs> a miracle drug that is supposed to save their entire race. Number three, I still find the makeup job on the Wraith impressive. And those oh, yeah. contacts are just a beautiful touch. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they I, are. I, yes, agreed. Uh, number four. They are they are on an alien planet in an alien galaxy on a planet that is technologically a couple generations behind us. What the heck was Carson plugging into his laptop? <laughs> I think I mean, he, he was plugging in the electron microscope. He he was, but you know, I mean, like, yeah. what's the electron? Where's the power cord for the electron yeah. microscope going? Yeah, well, you know, for the fortunately, they have that you know pile of you know European adapters. For <laughs> <laughs> yes. Ah, uh, all right. Uh, number five. It's nice to have an episode with such a strong focus on Doctor Beckett. Number yeah. six. In the scene where we first meet Merrill. He looks a bit like Nathan Fillion. I actually yes. would agree with that. That's that, that that I get that. Yep. I was yeah. I was sitting there like I've seen him before, and I couldn't think of it. And yeah, and that's what it is. Is like he was reminding me of Nathan Fillion. Yep. Number seven. In terms of information, this wraith seems to have given more information than any Gua Wuld that has ever been on Earth. 
<laughs> I, like, so, so the information that Steve gives them that we see is all of the, way, the wraith are awake and they're going through their feeding lines to get food and then they're going to attack you. None That's of which information. is, yeah, but none of that is actually information that they didn't already know. Mm, I mean, I think it was confirmation. Sure. But, but none of it was actionable. Well, not yeah, but even even the theoretical confirmation of information, it's unreliable. Yes, it is unreliable. Uh, and when he says all of them, maybe he means two. Like, you know, if he said there are 47 Wraith Hive ships and they've all yeah. been woken up, that's yeah. actually valuable information. Yes. There and, are three Hive ships and they've all been woken up is still good information, but those are very different situations. Yes, very much. Uh, eight. Oh, it looks like we brought our own microscopes. Maybe that's what Beckett plugged into his laptop. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we got there. There we go. (laughs) So uh, Kevin concludes, because I think that Zach and Brent will have a good con, will will have good conversations based on this episode. I predict a six from both of our hosts. Oh, he got it. Good job. Well done. Well done. Well done. And because there is a covenant between you two to watch all the episodes, I'm curious to see what you think of David's upcoming promo for next week. I saw what you did there. Boo. What? Uh, We'll get there. Give give me like five minutes, Brent. We'll get there. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Um, Those are our Facebook predictions. Uh Uh-huh. And we do have a couple of emails. One from Lydia Ann. Hi, Lydia Ann. Lydia Ann says, Greetings, this is the episode where Dr. Beckett steals your heart. His character is central to the story. The Hoffman Society has a collectivist mindset, and it's hard for Dr. Beckett and company, and us as members of individualist societies, to understand the Hoffman's decision-making process. Mm -hmm. But the three Hoffmans we meet are consistent. Working towards the goal of becoming resistant to the Wraith is worth any risk. Uh, Aside from being a tactic of war, poisoning the well is a logical fallacy. Information is presented to discredit a person group making an opposing argument, rendering that argument invalid whether it is sound or not. Does Hmm. that happen in this episode? Paul McGillian's acting is great. There's a good story and several ethical dilemmas, some handled better than others, Mm-hmm. Weir's concern being written off as not apl- applicable because of aliens is less than ideal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm willing to go to bat for that one a little bit st- more strongly. However, I acknowledge that that, by definition, starts to reduce the humanity of the people who are making that choice. Therefore, yeah. are we actually human in, the, in that sense? Well, yes, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Uh, Lydia Ann predicts, Brent, you will give this six chevrons. Yes. And she predicts that I will give it four and a half. Oh, golly. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Very, Very good for close me, though. on the Brent. Well, you nailed the Brent. Oh, yeah. And then, nailed then it, yeah. You, yeah. Okay. And then we have David. Hi, David. David has a standard boring chevron encoding bias buffer. Yeah, sure, sure, he sure. Says, but it was it's well executed. standard and boring because this episode is not standard and boring to me. Okay, all right. It's hard for me to put into words why I like this episode, but I do. It's the subversion of expectations, I guess. The saviors from space are rejected, and the local populace decides to do a Thanos snap. 
In yeah. exchange for wiping out half the population, they get wraith immunity. And they do it willingly, knowing what is going to happen. It's not forced upon them after all. It was voted on and agreed to. Mm-hmm. We look on in horror, but we have to accept that this is their decision to make and walk away. Yeah. Hindsight thought. The survivors are wraith immune now. However, the wraith don't just show up, come down to the surface, and just start feeding on them. They abduct and feed later, kind of like spiders. So they take them back to the hive ship, and after one or two wraith try and fail and then die, we can also probably assume that the wraith will probably dispose of the tainted meat. Even if all the wraith on the hive ship die, which is highly unlikely, the survivors are stuck on an alien spaceship with no idea of how to get home. Sad trombone. Sad trombone, but also you said dispose the meat, and so you're more likely to be shoved out an airlock. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, you know, mm, none of this is a good, good thing. Point. Uh, point. Regardless of the potential impact of the law of unintended consequences at play here, I still like this episode. Mm-hmm. Brent will give this six and a half chevrons for a moral oh. conundrum. Half? Oh, no, sorry, 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 there's just six chevrons. Okay, I, I okay, just, all right. I just okay, you got that. Um, He's got it right. And then he predicts five and a half chevrons for me oh. for um, reasons. <clears throat> Super close. Super close. And those are our predictions. Very nice. Very nice. Thank, Thank you, everybody. You. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate that. Now, Brent. Yes. Next week, we are delving back into the annals of Stargate SG-1. Uh-huh. And the title of said episode is Covenant. Uh-huh. And and now you see, see like, like, like Kevin earlier was saying, the covenant say? between us and watching the episode. Oh, and all of that. yeah. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, okay. what's Covenant about? Covenant. Next time on Stargate SG-1, the SG-1 team travels through the gate to find themselves in a strange world. Indeed, it is extraordinarily strange. We have not seen a world like this in a very long time. The inhabitants of this world are insectoid. Ooh. So very much like the insect creatures from a long time ago that were invisible, but we could use some like device to see them, and we haven't seen them since. The Ritu. Because they're invisible, right? Oh, and, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this this world, but unlike the Ritu, <clears throat> these inhabitants don't seem to be bothered with immediately eradicating everything that they seem to encounter. This group seem to be functioning much more like a grand society of ants that seem to have evolved, you see. Ah, okay. And so they have extraordinary buildings and clearly they have societies that work just almost flawlessly in some degrees and uh through through a little bit of trial and error they are able to establish communication they are led to undoubtedly the queen and the queen welcomes the sg1 team asks what they can do to show gratitude to be shown new faces i don't know i'm trying to make stuff up <clears throat> obviously Obviously. And the SG-1 team say, we are looking for ways to defeat the Gua'uld. And the queen ant goes, oh yes, we hate those sneaky things too. We should work together. Let me show you what we can do. And the queen raises up four of her six limbs. Clearly these are her arms and she waves them around a little bit. 
and then several other ants come by <gasps> and they also raise up their ant, their little ant arms and they go up in the air circly circly do and suddenly the room begins to shimmer and the floor has a eerie glow of Whoa. symbols suddenly showing up and sparkly things start to float gently towards the ceiling and then all of a sudden mighty power is unleashed and aggregated into the queen you see the queen she is performing what you could call magic Magic. and around her is the queen's coven indeed she is a covenant (laughs) join us next time on Stargate SG-1 covenant all right Dear listeners. Yeah? Yeah? What do you think? I need your best <coughs> work at creating a picture of a coven ant. <laughs> that good, eh? <laughs> I mean, it has nothing to do with the episode. God but- <laughs> ah, dang it. <laughs> no, no, uh, no ants? Uh, well, not that I can But what about call- Ball? I mean, doesn't Ball have ants? Maybe these are maybe these were formerly his ants. Oh, well, there there is more fodder for for whatever. So run with <laughs> it, dear listeners, and 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 share your work. I, I would be very interested to see what people can come up with with that with that prompt. That would be yes. pretty fun. Yeah, I, I would. So how about we watch the promo that David very kindly made, and that will give us an idea of what the episode is actually all about i am yes i am ready for this all right i am hitting play now next time on stargate oh, sg1 thank you all for coming it's uh it's nigel or as you got the nanny sure at, uh, five months ago our planet suffered a horrible tragedy where two thousand american servicemen and women were killed when a meteor shower disrupted global communications and hit a United States Naval Carrier Group on maneuvers in the Pacific Ocean. Uh-huh. Yes, of course. Yep, yep. I'm here today to challenge the facts of that incident as oh, they've my. been conveyed to the general public. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. On the day in question, none of our satellites detected a meteor shower. Hey, what's going on? Now, I don't know how many governments around the world are in on this, but I do know we are being lied to, and the truth is being covered up. Oh, no. Uh-oh. It's all next time on Stargate S. Okay. Oh. All right. <laughs> you know, um, sometimes, sometimes I wonder <clears throat> how often... I don't think it happens often. I, you know, how many promos have we watched now? And most of the time, it's like a, a, a regular promo with like, you know, bits here and there. Yeah. It must be a delight for David to be able to find 60 seconds worth of an episode that like just basically does it all, all the work for him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I bet so. This is it. This is the episode right here. <laughs> awesome. Just to tease I'm looking it, forward to just this. To tease it to see what happens next. Yep. So that yeah. is a covenant. We'll talk about that next time. Um, so with that, uh, yeah. tell us what you think. Uh, send us yes. your pictures of the coven ants and <laughs> if they're related to Ball or not, or Ball's ants, you know, who knows? Yeah. All of that I mean, These stuff. ones aren't fragile. These are not fragile. These are not fragile Ball's ants. They're not fragile. Okay, so the, these ones have, have good, strong exoskeletons. 
Yeah, I mean, these are, yes, they're, they're gigantic. Okay, they're gigantic. Okay. Um, so show us these pictures. Get it. Uh, email us. I, 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 I saw what you did there. I was gigantic. trying to move forward. Yeah, yeah I know, yeah. I know. I got uh, <laughs> so Email us at walkingthroughthestargate.gmail.com. <laughs> go to the Facebooks. Go to the Discords. <laughs> if you want to buy us a coffee, you can do that too. Yeah, buy us a coffee. Yeah, sure. Uh, with all that, I say I'm Zach. <laughs> uh, and I'm Brent. <laughs> and this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home. <laughs> oh, boy.